The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. My name is Jared Clary, and I'm the pastor over students and missions. Uh, Tracy is working on our Genesis series that will begin in the fall, and so uh, for the next few weeks, then uh, he'll be working on that and really studying and preparing and getting ready for that this fall. We'll be that will kind of be kicking off our whole series of the whole church through the whole Bible um, in three years, and so we'll be starting that this fall. We'd love for you to join us in that, and you'll be hearing more about that. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through. Um, a passage of scripture with us that Tracy began to introduce. We're in our series of the Word of God, which is we've looked at the sufficiency of the Word and the clarity of the Word and the necessity of the Word and the authority of the Word. And so we've looked at the systematic kind of of like why we need God's Word and, and what it does in our life. And now we're in this, this back half of that series of what is the story of the Bible? What's the big picture of the Bible? Because if we understand the big picture of the Bible, then it gives us insight into understanding the specifics of the Bible. And so we're in that series and we've walked through the first two covenants. If you've got um, the sheet from last week, then uh, we're going to just keep walking through that. If not, then there's a sheet at the entrances that you can pick up and you can fill those in um, that basically just show six covenants. Of the Bible, which we say are the, the big theme that understanding these six covenants of the Bible will help you understand the whole story of the Bible. And so, let me start with the statement that Tracy said last week that the Bible is the story of God redeeming and restoring his people and his planet. Let me say it again that, that you can summarize the Bible as the story. Of God redeeming his people and his planet. I say it to the students that the Bible is the story of who God is, what he's doing, and how you can be a part. It's this whole narrative of who God is. What he's doing. How is he redeeming and restoring a people and a planet? And then where your place is in that. You see, the scripture is not about you, but, but it is for you. And there is a place for you in it. That God has a purpose for us. And we find that in the scriptures. And so we'll continue to walk through the big story of the Bible. Of God redeeming and restoring his people and his planet. Now last week, let me walk through these covenants. We saw Adam's covenant. The covenant that God made with Adam. The Adamic covenant. And that covenant shows us the picture of redemption. Okay, so there's a key word with each one of these. So with the Adamic covenant, then we get the picture of redemption. And we see that, that Adam was in a relationship with God. And he walked with God and he talked with God and he was in fellowship with God. And that God gave him things to do, jobs to do. And it was good and it was right and it was perfect. And he gave him things to do that would reflect God's glory. He was an image bearer. And so we saw the picture of redemption and restoration. Number two, we saw in the Noahic covenant, we saw the scope of redemption and re restoration. We saw that, that with God's promise, with God's covenant to Noah, we know it as a rainbow 
as the sign of the covenant, then God showed us the scope of he's not just going to restore a little bit of his people. He's not just going to restore only his people, but he's going to restore his people and his planet. That that he's going to wipe away the old and make a new. That there's going to be a restoration of his people and his planet. The scope of redemption and restoration. Today what we're going to look at is we're going to look first at the Abrahamic covenant. Which shows us the source of redemption and restoration. Then we're going to look at the Mosaic covenant. Which shows us the problem of redemption and restoration. Then next week, what we'll look at is the Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David. And what we see is the hope of redemption and restoration. And then lastly, what we see is we see the new covenant, which is Jesus. And it's the fulfillment of redemption and restoration. So let's pray and ask God that he would do a work in our heart as we open his word this morning. God, we come to you in your good, in your right, in your perfect, and your ways are good and right and perfect. Lord, even when we don't understand them, even when they may seem confusing to us, Lord, they're good because you're good. And Lord, you're faithful to your promises. You're faithful um, to us, Lord, because it's who you are. Lord, we just confess this morning that so often we don't view your word as we as we ought. Lord, that we don't see it as a treasure. We don't see it as sweet. So God, we just confess that, that, that so often we would rather be entertained by other things than to, to sit and to be with you and to know who you are. God, we're thankful for the fact that, that you, in your kindness, draw us to yourself, that you're patient with us, that you woo us back to yourself, that we would fall more in love with you. Lord, that you're so faithful even when we're faithless. And so, God, we ask this morning, would you create in us a passion? Would you create in us a desire, a heart that longs for the things of God? Would you give us eyes to see as we ought? Would you give us ears to hear what you would say to us? God, and would you move in our presence this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, if you've got your Bible, then you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 9. It's where we left off last week. We're in the first few pages of your Bible. And so Genesis chapter 9 is where we end the Noahic covenant. We end God's story with Noah in a sense. And so chapter 9, we see Noah's descendants. And then chapter 10, we see a little bit more of Noah's descendants. Chapter 11, we get introduced to the story that we know from veggie tales or from felt boards called the Tower of Babel, right? And, and so we're introduced to this story, which is actually really important because it's from this little epicenter of, of Noah's family that we see God sends people to the very ends of the earth. That he confuses their language and they disperse across the earth. And so we see that, 
God is in this process of redeeming and restoring a people, but the people are now dispersed. And so how is God going to redeem and restore a people back to himself? And in chapter 12, we get introduced to a guy named Abram. Now, many of us know this guy as Abraham because his name got changed, which is actually what happens to many people in the Old Testament. And so you kind of have to know both their names. So we get introduced to Abram. And here's where we're going to pick up in our covenant. And the question which I want to answer today is this. How does understanding the Abrahamic and Noahic covenant help me read and understand my Bible? That's my one goal for today is to say, how does understanding this Old Testament story, this promise that God made with this man named Abraham or Abram, how does understanding that and understanding this promise that God made with this man named Moses, what does that have to do with me today? How does that help me in understanding God's word and what he has for me? And so that's our goal for this morning. School's about to start back. Y'all can go ahead and give me a grade at the end of this. Uh, Some of the students are like, no, 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 it's coming too quick, right? It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And so we're going to walk through and look at that answer. And hopefully at the end, then you'll go, oh, like any good movie, like any good story, You get introduced to these themes and you get introduced to these people. And as it builds, then when you get towards the end, you begin to look back at the beginning and you go, whoa, that's way cooler than I ever imagined. Or, oh, that's why. That's what he was doing. That's why that happened. And hopefully it'll click. And you'll begin to understand it and you'll begin to see the wisdom of God and you'll begin to see that, oh, I can understand this and I can understand what God has for me. I can see his plan of redemption and where I fit in that. Scholars would say that you would be hard pressed to find a more important passage and theme than the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. Because in them there is a foundation that spreads the whole of Scripture. That these are the, really the epicenter and the, the first places where we begin to realize and we begin to see the form of how God is going to accomplish his task. So Genesis chapter 12, read with me verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, as we read the story, then this guy just shows up out of nowhere in a sense. And then we see that God has a huge purpose for this guy. And we actually find out that there's three things connected to God's calling of Abram. That he's going to say, Abram, come with me. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's to do three things. It's to give you a huge people. A great people. It's to give you a land that you don't possess. And it's to make you a blessing to the nations or to all the families of the earth. So there's a people, a land, and a blessing. 
That's what we see in the Abrahamic covenant. But this is just God's call of Abraham. And so as you flip from Genesis chapter 12, as you flip through, then then it's filled in in between. And there's some incredible things going on. But then once we get over to Genesis chapter 15, which again, I'd encourage you on your own time this week, read those chapters. You will not be bored. There's some pretty incredible things going on. You will probably come and ask me if you read it with your family and go, why did you have us read that as a family? Because it's God's word and because it's exciting. And there's some pretty incredible things. I tell the students all the time, if you tell me the Bible's boring, it's because you're not reading it. Because the scriptures are not boring. Just read the chapters between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. But we get to Genesis chapter 15 and we see that God had given this call to Abraham. But now, how is the covenant actually made? And so we're going to look at this with both the Abrahamic and the Mosaic. How is it made? And then what are the promises or the stipulations? Okay, so how is this made? Look at chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, he says, God, you promised that I would have a great nation, that I would have a great people, and I got no kids. It's like, what do you want me to do? How, how's that going to work? And you find out in this in between that, that Sarah, his wife, is barren. And he's saying, so God, am I understanding your promise right? That are you going to make me a great nation through my cousin here? Like, is that how you're going to do it? And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. Number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Catch this. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Don't miss this. Right here at the very beginning, then we see that Abram is saying, God, you made a promise, but I don't see how you're going to keep it. And God says, look at the stars. That's how great of a people I'm going to make you into. And Abram had a a choice. I'm either going to believe God or I'm not. I'm either going to take God at his word and his promise by faith because I can't see it. My wife can't have kids and I've got no kids. I can't see it. It doesn't look real. Or God's promises can be more real than what he observes. That's called faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the assurance of things not seen. Right? That, that he can't see it. But God said it. So he believed him and it was by faith that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now, don't miss that fact. 
Because that's going to come up way later in the New Testament. Because it was by faith that he gained righteousness. That it was credited to his account. And not because of what he did, but because of what he believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. Look at verse 7 though. He continues. Because that's just the, the people. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God, you brought me out of here, but how do I know it's going to be mine? How how do I know you're going to give me this possession? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, and he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. But he said, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12, And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain... That your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in in a good old age. And they shall come back. There in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, for those of us who are good Bible readers who know these stories, then we go, wow. Like, God was foretelling the future. He was saying, this is what's about to happen. And we know that that's what happened. God was true to his promises. But here, how is the covenant made? Look with me, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot, a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Now, what's important to understand here is that there's two types of covenants that we'll see in the Scripture. And there's, there's some covenants which are conditional. And then there's other covenants which aren't conditional. What we see here is that, that this covenant's not conditional. You see, what's, what's going on is when they would make this sacrifice, then if you were making a covenant with someone that, that was binding, then what you would do is you would get these sacrifices, you would cut them in half, you would lay them side by side like this. And then the two people in covenant would walk through. That they were making a covenant that if they break the covenant, then they're cursed. Then they're to die the covenant. And so those making the covenant would walk through. Now, what we see in this passage is that Abraham and God come into this covenant. But where is Abraham? God calls his sleep to fall on him. Who walked through? God did. In the flaming torch and in the pot of fire. God walked through the covenant. God was binding in the covenant. Not conditional, not conditional on Abraham's actions. But based off of God's own character and nature, he said, I'm going to do this. It's not conditional on you. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a blessing to the people. And so we're left in this place as we finish this passage, we go, okay, so God's going to do this. How? How is God going to do this? What's the blessings of this covenant? What's the, the condition of this covenant? And we see that it's not conditional on anything that Abram does. He actually does a bunch of stuff that would work against it. He tries to take it into his own power and do it. That's the story that we see as we read the scriptures. And so understanding this big theme helps us to understand what's going on. And so we get from Genesis and, and we, we begin to see with Genesis, here's what happens, right? That, that we see from this point that we're following Abram's family tree. And where does that lead? Well, it leads to Isaac. And we see this incredible story about God's provision for Isaac. And, and we move from Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob is Isaac's, one of Isaac's sons. And it doesn't fit the tradition of the day that, that Jacob would be the chosen one. But then Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. Now that's a name that we're familiar with. You don't have to read really more than about a paragraph in the Bible to hear the name Israel, right? This is where it comes from. Because this man would turn into this nation or people group. And so we follow Israel. That's Genesis 35. And then Israel has these 12 sons. They become the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then what we find at the end of Genesis is that it's still tracking through this tree that which son of Israel? Well, it's Judah that God then narrows his promise to. That out of the tribe of Judah... There will come a promised one. And so we're left wondering at the end of Genesis. Well, how is God going to fulfill his promise? Because what we've seen also in Genesis is that that God's people were put into captivity by Egypt and they don't have a land. They're beginning to become a people. They're kind of multiplying like rabbits in Egypt and Egypt's doing everything it can to stop that. And it can't stop it because God's accomplishing his purpose. And so we get to the end of Genesis, and if you'll flip there, the very end of Genesis, then we see God's promise comes to Judah. It's in chapter 49. And it says in verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And it was binding. And so we see it's narrowed down and we're in this place with Judah. But we go, okay, so God hasn't really made him a blessing to the nations and God hasn't given him a land yet. Because they were still in Egypt in captivity. And so how is God going to do this? It leaves us asking the question. And we get to Exodus chapter 2. And we meet this man named Moses. 
So Exodus chapter 2, here's what we see. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. Now that's important because the tribe of Levi is going to be God's chosen people to be the priests. Now what is a priest? A priest is someone who went in and worked and worshipped in the presence of God. But they were the go-between between God and the people. And so we see that Moses is from this tribe of Levi. This go-between between God and his people. That he's going to go into the presence of God and work and worship. But he's also going to communicate back to the people and teach them and lead them in what God would say. And so we see, verse 2, that the woman conceived and bore a son. And now in this time, we know the story of Moses and his Egypt. The Pharaoh of Egypt gave an order to kill all of the, the boys because they were multiplying too fast. They were becoming a great people. And so he says, kill all the boys. And, and his mama says, I'm not doing that. And so she puts him in a boat. An ark is the word there. It's a little basket. She puts him in an ark. She puts him in the river, and as God would have it, as God would accomplish his purposes in his ways, not necessarily the ways we think, but in his ways, then this little baby gets found by Pharaoh's daughter, grows up in the household of Pharaoh, and his name is Moses. And we see in Moses' life that these things happen and he gets in this place where he's torn and he sees his people, Israel, God's chosen people. And he sees them being treated badly and so he ends up killing an Egyptian. He ends up running and fleeing for his life. And if you flip over in Exodus all the way to chapter 19, then we see that God has this incredible way of getting people where he wants them when he wants them. So Moses is out in the wilderness and he meets this burning bush and God speaks to him and he says, hey, I have a plan for you to accomplish my purpose and my will. You're going to lead the people out of Egypt. And so he does that incredible display of God's power and majesty. And the people come out of Egypt just like God had promised. And he leads them out by Moses. And then we get to chapter 19, and and this is what we see, is that, look at verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. He's the mediator. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, catch this, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God 
communicates with Moses and he says, hey, here's the plan. If you obey me, you experience my blessings. If you disobey me, you experience my curses. The covenant that God initiates right here is conditional. There's an if clause. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. It's conditional. It's dependent upon the people's reactions. And so what we see in Exodus 19, that's where God first initiates it. If you flip over to Exodus 24, then we see how does this happen? How does God come into covenant with the people? How is it initiated? And we see in Exodus chapter 24, look at verse 1. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, what are all those words? Well, we know them as the Ten Commandments, right? That God had given these rules, obey these rules. He gave them ten of them. Obey these rules and you'll experience my blessings. Disobey my rules and you'll experience my curses. And so Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and the twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings and oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basin and half of the blood he threw against the altar and then he took the book of the covenant and he read it and hearing in the hearing of the people. And they said, they heard all that God said. They've heard the conditions of the covenant. And look at what they said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. We'll do it. We'll obey everything it says. And so Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so they're in this binding agreement. God, we're going to obey everything you say. God, everything that you say, we're going to obey. But we know as Bible readers, Moses goes back up the mountain. God's angry. Moses is like, God, why are you angry? God's like, because these people have rejected me. If you flip over to chapter 32, then we see that before Moses can come back down the mountain, then the people of God have disobeyed. They've broken the first commandment. They can't keep it. We know it as the golden calf, right? We've heard these stories. Where do they fit in this big narrative of the scripture? It's the golden calf. Well, why is the golden calf so important? Because the people have just said, we'll keep your covenant. We'll be your people. We'll obey everything. They go, they can't do it. They can't obey. But that's where you and I are, right? In talking with students, then sometimes they're like, 
listen, I know all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I know the to-do list. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. But you know what? I can't keep it. So why even try? Some of you guys have been there. You're like, I know that I can't keep the things which I'm supposed to keep. You don't even try to be like the people of Israel and be like, we'll keep it, God. You just go, I already know I can't. I've already broken it. I'm going to go live it up. Just forget it all. If that's what it takes to be right with God, I can't do it. I'll throw in the towel now and just forget about it and quit feeling guilty. You see, we see in this covenant that the people can't keep it. But why can they not keep it? It's because their hearts are bad. Isaiah tells us that that they've all gone astray, just like us. That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We follow our own paths. We want to be our own boss. We don't desire the things of God. So we go after our own things. And they can't keep it. So what does God do? Does he smoke the earth and flood it again? Like with Noah? No, he made a covenant with Noah. I'm not going to do that again. So how is God going to redeem a people and a place when all the people are disobedient and they won't follow his commands? Spoiler alert, we saw it with Abraham, right? Abraham was already considered righteous before the law ever came. Before the rules of what he had to do and the checklist of how you do it to be right with God. Abraham was already considered righteous by faith. And so what does the law teach us? It shows us that we can't be good enough. So what did God do? Well, in chapter 34, then he is gracious and he renews the covenant with the people. And so he renews it in chapter 34 and he says, Moses, hey, I know you got mad and you smashed those other tablets, but uh, go ahead and carve a couple more. I'll rewrite the law for you because my law is good. It's good for you. It, it curbs your disobedience. It restrains you. It teaches you this is the path. Don't go outside it. Can it make you right with God? No, because no one can keep it. But it's good for us because it restrains us. And so Exodus 34, we see that God renews the covenant. And then, where do we go from here? Well, I think it's helpful again just to look real quick at, at what are the promises and the conditions of the Mosaic covenant. Let me just run through these real quick before we... Move past because if we don't understand this, we end up where a lot of us are and going, Well, how do I understand like the Levitical law? How do I understand Leviticus? How do I understand like what is that for? What do I do with the Old Testament? Like, how does that what does that have to do with me? So, so let's look again real quick at what are the promises and conditions. The Mosaic covenant was a potential fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Let me say it again. It was a potential fulfillment that if the people had obeyed rightly, then they would have been God's people in God's place. And they would have been a blessing to the nations because, like we read, they would have become a kingdom of priests. Not a kingdom with priests, but a kingdom of priests. The, the mediators that went into the very presence of God and worked and worshipped. 
So it was a potential fulfillment, but that's all it was, was a potential because they couldn't keep it. We see that it required faith-filled obedience to accomplish the law. The Mosaic covenant revealed the need for complete and perfect obedience. We see that God in His grace provided and instituted sacrifices as a means in which the people could still dwell in the presence of God until the ultimate sacrifice would come. It wasn't the the blood of bulls and goats that forgave sins. It was the blood of Jesus that forgave sins. It was the blood of bulls and goats that showed that they believed in the future promise of God. And so as they worked and functioned and lived within God's given means, then they could walk with God. But the problem was that they had a heart problem. And so it leaves us in this place in the covenants of going, so how do you deal with a heart problem? Where do you go from here? Because we can't make our hearts new. And it casts us forward to the hope of David, the one who would come and rule and reign. But it casts us even further to the one who would come and would, who, who would remove the heart of stone and who would give us a heart of flesh. Who through the blood of the new covenant would cleanse our wicked, corrupt hearts. It pushes us forward. It leaves us wanting. We can't stop in the story right here. We miss the good part. So how does the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenant point us to Jesus? We're going to answer the question by going to Galatians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, flip to Galatians, New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And Paul is talking to these people, the, the Galatians, and, and he's, they're asking the questions that you and I ask. What do I do with this law? What do I do about this Mosaic law? What is this promise that God's given to these people named Israel? Like, how do I think about all this? How does that impact me? I'm not Jewish. I can't trace my lineage through the descendants of Abraham. What do I do with all this Old Testament stuff that tells me, do this, don't do this, don't wear clothes that are mixed, don't boil a baby's goat in its mama's milk? Like, what? What do I do with all this? And so Paul's going to answer that as he answers it for the Galatians. And so so here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, we're actually going to run through the whole chapter. So track with me. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Wait a minute. Is he talking about works of the law like the Mosaic law? Yeah. Is he talking about faith like the faith we saw of Abraham? Yeah. Which one of those is what accomplished the spirit at work in you? Was it the law? Mm -mm. Was it faith? Oh yeah. Let's keep going. So we see it's vitally important for us to know the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenant. But he says here, did you suffer so many things 
in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Like, which is it? Is it by providing the law that you see these incredible miracles of God? No. Oh, but by faith. They believed God. They believed Jesus and they would see incredible things happen. Keeps going. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's throwing all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, to Genesis chapter 15, to say, hey, this is how you live the Christian life. Verse 7, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Wait a minute, like the sons of Abraham, the promised seed, the promised heirs, the ones who's going to be a, a great people and a, a, have a land and who's going to be a blessing to the nations, the sons of Abraham, those sons, yeah, Wait, by faith? Not by lineage? Yeah. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Before Jesus came and walked on the earth, the gospel, the good news of the promised one, the seed of Abraham who would redeem his people, was preached to Abraham. How was it preached? Well, it was preached... In you shall all the nations be blessed. Through your seed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They're not cursed. They're blessed because they have faith. Well, how can that be? They can't keep the law. Oh, it's credited to them as righteousness because of their faith. Because they believe. Just like Abraham believed. It wasn't because what he did. It was because of what he believed. Oh, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Yeah, that's me. I can't keep this stuff. I know I'm cursed. That's me. That was everyone. But now it's evident That no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We receive the promised blessings rather than the promised curses because Jesus died on the cross and paid the curses. He took them for us. Oh, but he's not done. Look at this. To give a human example. Brothers, even if a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural. No, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. 
This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Before the law was ever around, Abraham was justified by faith. So why do we think that being a Christian is all about this list of do's and don'ts and if I'm good enough? It's not. It was never about the law. It was about faith. It was about believing God's promises and trusting in his provision. So then we go, so why did God even give the law? That seems crazy. Why would he do that? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. God gave the law because our hearts are wicked and sinful and he was restraining our sin. Well, why else did he give the law? He was restrained. It was given because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God's one. God gave the law. So is the law then contrary to the promise? Is God saying like you can be saved by keeping the law and you can be saved by faith? Is this contrary? No, 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 certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. No one can keep the law. No one can be righteous through the law. Because it requires faith-filled, perfect obedience. You can't be good enough. No one can. The scripture imprisoned all of us so that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. It's by faith. Catch this last part. It's where it all comes together. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. The law is our teacher. The law is good for us. To read the Old Testament and see God's standard of morality and ethics, it's good for us. It teaches us, but it can't make you right with God because you can't keep it. But it shows you, oh, I need someone. I need something outside of myself. I need the promised seed of Abraham. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. You get to participate in the blessings in the covenant of Abraham that he's going to make us into a people. He's going to give us a land and he's going to make us a blessing to the nations. We're heirs. Not because of works of the law. Not because of what we do and don't do. But because of faith. That would be counted to us as righteousness. You go, well, that seems pretty simple. Yeah. It is. 
And yet so many people reject it. When it's so simple. Come by faith. They say, well, what do I have to do? Come by faith. Come by faith. So, to return to our question. How does understanding the Abrahamic and Mosaic Covenant help me read my Bible? Understanding the Mosaic Covenant gives us the right understanding of the law. The law is good, 1 Timothy 1.8. But it cannot justify, Galatians 2.16. We know from reading our Bible that Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, Matthew 5.17. He's the only one who could fulfill the law. Perfect, faith-filled obedience. So, what's the role of the law? Well, Paul says it's our teacher to understand our corruption. Just as Israel could not stand under the righteous requirements of the Mosaic Law, neither can any man stand under the condemnation of God's universal requirements. Absolute, faith-filled obedience in mind and action. No one can keep that standard. But in understanding the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, we're introduced to the source of redemption and restoration. Because the problem is the hardness of our hearts. So this all points us to faith in Jesus Christ. The promised seed. Who would fulfill the righteous requirements. Who would bear the curse of breaking those requirements. That if we would trust in Him and believe in Him and confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that we would be saved. That we would become the children of Abraham. We would be a people in a place. That's how God accomplishes His purpose of redeeming a people in a place for His purposes. So the application is pretty simple. If you've never believed in the promised seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law, then you're standing on your own merits to try and be good enough for God. I think if you're honest, then that's not working out very well. But there's hope. It casts us forward to the hope of David. It casts us forward to the hope of the new covenant. Who would remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Who would redeem you and restore you. To give you a place in the kingdom. So if that's you this morning. It's simple. You just cry out to God and say God I believe your promise. For the rest of us. Are we going to be like the Galatians and think that. By keeping the law. We can be right or good enough with God. No what Jesus did on the cross made you right and good enough with God. Now live in that reality. Live in that identity of who you are. That you're an image bearer. That you're to be a blessing to the nations. You're to take that message. You're to live as that image bearer. To help bring about the restoration of a people and a planet. For God's glory. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word. Which shows us who you are and what you're doing and how we can be a part. Shows us the story of how you're redeeming a people in a, in a planet or a place for your glory. God, would you captivate us by your word. That we would treasure it. That it would become sweet to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.